Welcome to Utilizing AI, the podcast about enterprise applications for machine learning, deep learning, and other artificial intelligence topics. Each episode brings experts in enterprise infrastructure together to discuss application of AI in today's data center. Today, we're discussing transfer learning. Our guest, Frederick Van Heren, attended AI Field Day last year and will be at AI Field Day again in May. Now, Frederick has a really interesting background in data analytics and voice recognition. So Frederick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. So my name is Frederick Van Heren. Uh, I'm the CTO of uh, HiFence, which does consulting and services in the AI markets. And my background is really uh, speech recognition. So for the longest time, I've been running a large uh, organization doing HBC and AI for the speech markets. I can be found on Twitter. It's Frederick V. Heron. And the website I run for the company is highfence.com. So that's H-I-G-H-F-E-N-S.com. Thanks, Frederick. And I'm Stephen Foskett, a publisher of Gestalt IT and organizer of Tech Field Day, including AI Field Day. You can find me on Twitter at S. Foskett, and I would love to hear from you. So, uh, Frederick, one of the things that uh, sort of piqued my interest when talking to you was this whole concept of transfer learning. This is not a subject that we've broached before on the podcast, and I think that it might be really interesting for our audience to learn more. So maybe can you kick off just by explaining what is transfer learning? Right. So, so you can imagine that when you start um, working on AI, that there's a lot of data you need to collect and build models. And, and that takes a very significant amount of time, not only from resources like people, but also from a hardware perspective. So imagine that there is a complex, um, a complex neural network with a, with a model and you want to extend that, that uh, model. And so the way, the way it works is if you would visualize a neural network, you know, with all the neurons and all that stuff, you could, you could cut off the tail ends and replace the tail ends with a, a new little or smaller neural network that you can attach to the existing one. And then you can kind of adapt the model, if you wish, with just the limited data you need in order for that particular use case. So an example of that would be, let's imagine that you have built a, 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 a language model for American English. You spent you know, millions and millions of CPU hours uh, obtaining that model, and you would like to build a Alexa or Siri-alike uh, assistant. And so in order to do that, you need additionally a wake-up word, right? So, so the model needs to react or get activated once you say that particular wake-up word. So what you could do is you could take that language model, cut off the tail end, and add a little uh, neural network that just does the wake-up keyword um, wake-up. And you only use some of the data in order to build your little neural network. In the end, you have a much larger, um, a much larger utility of that that model, and so the big the big the big the big win and advantage for enterprises is that you don't have to start from scratch. So that's why transfer learning is really interesting. I think that's um, really is what uh, what we need because, of course, uh, most enterprises don't have a whole team of PhDs and the ability to create their own 
you know, model. Frankly, what you're describing sounds um, almost, you know, analogous to the, the the switch from custom written software to shrink wrap software in enterprise, where you would, for example, buy a, uh, you know, a license for an ERP system. That doesn't mean that it's done. It doesn't mean that it's like ready to roll out, but it gives you a place to start. Is that is that a way to describe transfer learning? Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, it, it creates a level of modularity, right? So if 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 every AI project would would have would have to take into consideration that you have to retrain the model has multiple issues when not everybody has access to the same amount of data. And, and as you know, collecting data is just one facet of it, right? The, the quality of the data and the ability to process the data. So it is really um, a way to jumpstart uh, an AI project. And it, it also has the benefits that you can combine uh, multiple models with transfer learning, right? So you you can really get results much faster than you you normally would. But I agree with 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 your uh, with your uh, thinking behind the uh, the product. So in previous episodes, we've talked about how um, AI applications consist basically of three components. You've got your uh, your model, you've got your feature store, and then you've got your data. Is, is that really kind of analogous to what you're describing here with transfer learning? Yes, I mean, the concepts are still the same. So the only difference is, is that at some point you take something that you could consider as a finished model and then you kind of restart the whole process, right? So there's still data collection, there is still feature extraction, there is still the, the, the feedback loop. So all of these components are still valid. It's just that you do it at a smaller scale and you, you reuse somebody else's model. So is this the model, do you think, that the, going forward that uh, enterprise AI applications are going to be using, that they will uh, be taking a, uh, you know, an existing model and then sort of applying it to a new set of data? Yes, I, I'm, I'm actually convinced of that. Right now, it's already happening. I think a lot of people that start working uh, with AI, they don't start from scratch, right? If you look at public clouds like Amazon and others, they deliver already um, models, pre-made -pre models for even speech recognition, right? I mean, speech recognition 10, 15 years ago was an incredibly challenging problem. Nowadays, you can go to to an Amazon and have access to a pre-built language model. The only and if you want to add something to it or modify it or 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 add or add some more training data, I mean it's the, the opportunities are are incredible. And I, I do think that also is one of the the uh, the key components for the growth of AI or the acceleration, I should say, because with transfer learning, you can save yourself a lot of time. You might not be happy with the model you get, but if you have a model that is reasonably good with transfer learning, you can get results really fast and then rely on your, your loopback cycle in order to improve your new model over time, right? I mean, it's, it's AI is all about statistics. So there's nothing is 100%. You just have to understand what you have, what you can do, and transfer learning gives you that opportunity to bootstrap uh, any AI project. And I, and most of the the the, the enterprises I talk to, um, they don't say that they want transfer learning because they don't have an understanding of transfer learning. But it's 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 clear that transfer learning is the solution to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in your uh, on your blog, you wrote about transfer learning. And one of the things uh, that you say is that this concept is essentially what we all do every day, that teachers, um, you know, transfer their knowledge, they transfer sort of the synthesis of what they've learned to their students. And many of those students, you know, they may not have to learn everything from scratch, you know, that I mean, they can they can basically take that set of knowledge, that set of rules, that set of, um, you know, disciplinary uh, learning, and then they can apply that themselves to new things. In many cases, they may not even know, like, where this learning came from. They, they just need right. to know that they can apply it to new information. Is that right? Right. We do the same thing every day, right? So I do like math a lot. I mean, when I, when I started using math, I, I and every time you learn something new, you rely on, on, on theories that have been proven before. So you take that as a given. And so once you understand and, and know how to work with those, that's, that's how, how you can make fast, fast progress. Same thing with the, the software frameworks, right? Like PyTorch and Keras. I mean, no, most people don't really understand what's happening underneath. There's a lot of math, there's a lot of matrix operations, you know, the, with the weights and the bias and all that stuff. I mean, not everybody needs to, needs to know the details in order to be successful with AI, but it's moving fast, right? And that's what transfer learning allows you to do is transfer learning allows you to use something that, they, that a baseline, if you wish, and then take that baseline even further with, with your ideas without having to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And it also reflects the nature of uh, computing today, where um, you know we can't assume that every AI application or AI endpoint is going to have the same compute resources. So by using this concept, right, we could um, you know use centralized compute resources to build up the model, and then we can deploy that model, and it can continue to do learning, but it won't do maybe the the sort of heavy lifting initial learning that it might have had to do in order to get to this point, because you know we're delivering it partially baked, right? Right, that's right. Now your background is in. Um, uh, well, at least uh, how I first met you was in uh, voice uh, and language processing, right? And I think that this is uh, really an interesting field because that was um, maybe one of the first uh, machine learning applications that people encountered. Um, is, it, is it fair to say that uh, sort of dictation software and things like that, I mean, are they AI and were they AI and are they uh, blazing the trail for what we're doing today? Right. So when I started in the speech recognition business about 20 years ago, I mean, it was all about uh, writing code and, and, and software algorithms. And there was no open source community, really. And, and I, I, would, I would call it uh, compute centric, right? So it was all about, you know, the MIPS and, and how much processing you could do. Although we realized that if you want to, to deliver a speech product, you know, math by itself is, is, is not a good indication to understand people's voices. So we had to start collecting data. Um, but in those days, 15 to 16 years ago, there was no, or there was no decent amount of affordable compute, if you wish, and let alone storage, right? I mean, it's, it's today we talk about petabytes. In those days, you know, we were, we were talking gigabytes and, and gigabytes, gigabytes of data in order to cover um, uh, or at least statistically represent uh, the, the um, 
the the uh, the world population the voice of the world population i mean it's, it's insane if you think about it so what we decided to do was to start collecting for particular verticals and uh starting with hpc right so you scale everything then once you have your infrastructure available you start collecting data and then you use hpc to scale your ai infrastructure but ai in the early days was all cpu based and cpus you know was one socket with 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 one one uh, one core right that's that's when we started we the the early days of speech recognition we could do limited speech recognition with a single a single compute single server but that was dedicated there was nothing else we could do um and then we 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 kind of started to understand that if we relied heavily on data and good data that we could get um decent decent results and that's when we started kind of uh focusing more and more on ai and and the advantage of uh, analyzing data but this we had to build our own frameworks we had to write, write our own code uh, a, a funny joke there is is when we actually reached out to nvidia which today is the number one gpu resource when we contacted gp the the nvidia organization they basically told us well we don't really have anything for you why don't you talk to our gamer division so we actually had a conversation with nvidia munich where the conversation with 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 them was about how to get consumer cards and and go to enterprise and and then once the gpus came into play then you could really do millions and millions of of, of calculations per second and that's where where everything took off right so speech speech together with gpus uh the the ability to to collect a lot of data process a lot of data the cost the fact that the hardware didn't cost that much anymore well relatively i should say um, it all came down to the combination of hpc and ai um, and and just to give you an idea we we needed about 110 racks of equipment just to cover about 40 language models um, on on a permanent basis which today you know you you don't you don't need that amount of hardware for the two for the two reasons one one is is that with open source frameworks you have a lot more intelligence in building the models and secondly using transfer learning uh, will help you uh, get faster results without having to collect all the data but yes it's, I, I always refer to a speech recognition as ground zero for for modern ai uh, a lot of the the items that we we had to do in speech uh, are now very common and really open sourced if you wish to 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 the community i think one of the interesting aspects there as well is that a lot of the work that you guys were doing early on was not um you know using basically what we would recognize as sort of deep learning today and so essentially you spent all this time basically building a capability and then had it all get wiped away by this new technology of machine learning and deep learning. Is that accurate? Is that kind of how it felt at the time? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it wipe, wiped away. I mean, the, 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 the thing is that machine learning and deep learning are, and AI are all really, it's really, those are labels, right? So we were doing all of these things. We were really working on, on, on algorithms and, and the math behind it. Uh, one, thing, one thing I have to say is that most of the speech recognition innovation actually doesn't come from, from large enterprises, it was actually coming from uh, universities. And so universities around the world were basically saying, 
well, here's a new algorithm, but we don't have the processing capabilities to do that. And then students would write papers and then we would look at those papers and we would try them all out. Uh, and I would hire these people. Um, so from a label perspective, I, you could say that we're doing machine learning and deep learning. I wouldn't say that that it has wiped out what we have done. I think it's still built on things we have done. And in some cases, uh, new technology came in that 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 replaced some pieces. A good example is is um, is uh, natural language processing. So think about that. So if you think about a language model, a speech language model, the idea is to accurately guess what you're saying, right? So so the the you can never get 100%. And to a certain degree, you never, you don't have to, right? So people, when you and I have a conversation and, and, and if you get 85 words out of the 100 words I'm saying, you, you really didn't miss anything, right? So, and so one thing we realized is that even with, with using AI for language models, trying to go from, from an 80 plus to let's say 90 would, would, would would be a, would create a we would need a significant amount of money and resources in order to do that and then NLP came along and so the language model goes from from audio to text and now imagine that if I could add context to the texts or the words that are coming out of of the recognizer based with combining the context with the the words coming out of the speech recognition engine i can actually use nlp to increase the accuracy of the contents because i have the ability to bring context to the the situation so let's let's take an example i could say for example let's make a reservation for uh, seven people tomorrow uh, at five so there's there are pieces missing right and with context uh, I can increase the accuracy of the results, meaning the system might know out of context that I go to the local Italian restaurant around the corner. And so by bringing in context, I can increase the accuracy um, of the result of the recognition engine. So you will see that there's a lot of focus nowadays on NLP as opposed to language models. So you know, coming back to your point, has it erased everything we have done? No, but it's built on top of it, right? And that's also where 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 transfer learning comes into play because NLP by itself is a, is 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 really um, a, a big challenge to solve by itself. But all these things combined, it's more evolutionary and in some cases revolutionary than 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 really considering what we did 15 years ago, like a like uh, ancient technology, right? I, I think it's true for, for most technologies is some of the technology doesn't disappear. It's, it's just being reused, recycled and built upon. One of the things you mentioned in there too, I think that's important for this conversation and for a lot of the conversations we've been having here on utilizing AI is this gap between, like you said, like 80% effective, 90% effective, Will we ever get to 100% effective? And that's been one of the core questions that we've been approaching whenever we've been talking about AI applications. And um, you know, it's a big problem because essentially, you know, for example, we talked about autonomous driving quite a lot on the podcast. And um, you know, one of the things that is, has occurred to me is that um, it's not easy, but it's totally doable to, to develop a system that can drive a car 
um, you know, in 80% of uh, highway situations. It's much, much more difficult. And in fact, um, there's some contention that it might even be impossible to develop an autonomous driving system that can drive anywhere at any time. So is that really kind of what we're seeing as well in other fields of AI in terms right. of, you know, um, you know, natural language processing? You know, it, it, are we ever going to have a system that can um, understand everything people say? Well, everything I wouldn't say, um, but over time, I mean, the, the problem you're describing is, is control of your environment, right? So to talk about the, the, the self-driving cars, so the self-driving cars, if you always use the same, the same layouts and, and the same highways, um, and it, the system will learn, right? So the thing about AI is it's, AI is not a one-stop shop, right? AI is continuous. And so the advantage of AI is that if it makes a mistake and it realizes it made a mistake, it will improve the system over time. Um, and it's not just self-driving cars, right? I mean, on the other hand, I mean, it, it's, it's the, the example they always use is a self-driving car, even if it's perfect for, you know, dealing with people, bicycle, bicycles, motorcycles, and so on. What happens if, if, if there's a, an airplane making a crash landing on, on, on the highway, right? How do you deal with that? Well, you know, those are, of course, our challenges, but... So in order to say that it will ever understand everything or that the car will, will, will never ever make a mistake, I don't think so. I think just like us humans, it will learn to make, to learn from its mistakes. In the speech recognition it's, uh, world, it's the same thing, right? So um, what, we, what we used to do and it's still being done today in the speech market is that by controlling the environment, you can improve the model. And so an example would be, let's assume you sell a speech product to a bank, right? So, and the, 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 the language model you go in with is, 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 let's call it a generic model, meaning that it's not really targeted at the, at, at the customers of the bank. But if you, if you allow to use, um, um, this model to, to be improved by the people who use or, or our customers to the bank, then you can get very, very high accuracy, right? So the thing about speech recognition is you're trying to recognize a pattern. You're not necessarily trying to recognize, you know, American English or, or British English. You're trying to recognize a, a, a pattern. So we, we uh, at Nuance, we had a, a desktop application that was very popular with, with people that had speech disabilities. And, and why is that? It's because if the, the person that has a speech disability always says, says the same thing, um, not the way we would understand it, but consistent in the way they're saying it, you can actually train the product to recognize that as, as valid, right? So, so it's more about consistency uh, as opposed to variety, but as long as there is variety, um, AI will never be perfect, but will always make an attempt at learning. And it's the learning component that actually I personally feel is more important in AI than anything else, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's building a language model and, and it works out of the box for, for your environment. That's great, but you know, does it work for other people? And if it doesn't work for other people, does it self-learn or, or do you have to feed it even more data and make some changes in order to make the model work? And I think that is what is important for enterprises in AI is not to have and say checkbox, I, I'm doing AI or I have a product that is based on AI. 
but it's the back the fact that you can learn from it and that learning learning never stops i mean it's true for us i mean we we never stop learning there's no there's no time where we can say we know everything well at least i don't but you know well, I do um, wonder, though, if this lesson is being taken to heart by some of today's AI applications, because frankly, um, the idea, I, I think learning and feedback is something that we get lip service to, but many of the AI applications that we're starting to see in the enterprise space are, um, you know, kind of a dead end street. In other words, you know, the, the thing is trained it, um, you know, with, with data in the cloud initially, and then it's just sort of rolled out and added as a feature. Um, it may be learning from uh, a particular application, a particular um, you know uh, deployment of that application. Um, but I think customers are resistant to sending information back to the mothership to improve the overall model. And uh, you know even in situations you know of upgrades and you know switching from one product to another, it is very unlikely that some of these applications are going to be applying any of those lessons forward. Um, right. Yeah, I think it, I, my definition of AI is, 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 I mean, a lot of people talk about data, but for me, it's about the self-learning. I mean, it's the, if, if, if it's not self-learning, then, then using data is not, doesn't qualify to be called AI, if you ask me. It's the, it's the self-learning and, and learn from your mistakes. I mean, it, it's just like us, right? So the, the only way we can improve is, is, is by moving forward. And if we make mistakes, we just learn from it. But, but you know, just living by rules and never change those rules is, is, doesn't work for us and it doesn't work for AI applications. And you will see that um, certainly in the speech market, instead of using one language model, we started to personalize, right? Because of the, the self-learning and the, the, the continuous learning. And so we would, for, for certain customers, we delivered a personalized language model. So the way you can see it is, imagine, let's take the bank example again, right? Where let's assume the bank has about a thousand customers and they, they are international. So you have no idea um, how successful your language model is going to be, but you, you, the system assumes American English. So you can, you can expect that the accuracy level for certain, certain um, non-native speakers will, will be relatively low. And so you can, you can start with a base model and then start adapting that base model or cloning that base model if you want for each individual user. And then you can apply a, a mechanism where if you see something for a particular individual that is useful for the general population, then that information is being looped back to the generic model and then you can reapply that to generic model and you can keep on updating the generic generic model while everybody has their own personalized model and that is a system where where a non-native speaker might might go into the system with only 40 percent and rapidly get to and to to the same level of accuracy as a native speaker and that's that's really where where ai comes into play right as opposed to just delivering the model and then walk away and say hey you know this is it it works for for native speakers one more thing that you mentioned in there um as well that i'd like to key in on is uh pattern matching and i think that many people who when, when they think about artificial intelligence um, obviously, they, they jump to you know Mr. Data and 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 a, and a system that actually truly understands things in the way that humans understand things, or at least approaches that. But of course, that's not 
at all how machine learning works. Essentially, machine learning is only doing pattern matching. It's, it's building these pathways, it's building these connections, uh, these statistical associations between inputs and outputs, and it's continually refining those based on the, uh, you know, the data that it encounters in the field. But um, to say that a, a, at least a machine learning system truly knows things in the way we do is uh, completely inaccurate. Um, you know, I think that maybe um, applications like uh, language processing, in a way they work counter to our true understanding of this technology because it seems like the system understands things because you know, I say something and, it, and it's putting the words on the screen and the words come out in the right order and they kind of match what I was intending to say. So it kind of fools me into thinking this system understands me. It truly understands what I'm saying, but it absolutely doesn't. You know, right. would you agree to that? Yes, I actually have a, a good example. So one of our head researchers who was responsible for, for developing uh, the algorithms, right? And and if you if you if you know about audio, you you are talking about sine waves, right? And so so sound is just a, a concatenation of of a bunch of sine waves, and mathematically you can isolate those sine waves from each other, and and that's how you kind of try to recognize what's the sine wave representation for you know the word the or cat and so on, and the example I wanted to bring on is is that the the those individuals left the speech business and went to develop a a device that you install in your home and it measures the or identifies the appliances in your home because electricity is also sine waves and your refrigerator has a certain pattern on 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 how it consumes electricity it speaks and 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 so on and so they they basically took the speech pattern recognition and applied that to electricity so i have a, actually have a device at home where i can monitor and see which devices in my house are consuming electricity and what it is and and because because it needs to learn i am the one that that's being asked by the application saying hey i recognized you know between 9am and 902am a, a a device consumed uh, 230 watts i think it's a um, a refrigerator can you can you label it and then you label it and go back and it's it's just an just just an example on how ai and pattern recognition for speech can also be applied to similar items that are completely non-speech related right but all the learnings and the methodologies are all applicable i'm a big fan of 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 claiming that the ai market is going horizontal right so there's a lot of people that are saying all about the verticals i'm a big fan of and, and a big advocate for uh, saying that a lot of the ai today can be applied uh, across the verticals horizontally as opposed to vertical and i think that's where most of the innovation will come into play and that also you know comes back to transfer learning where transfer learning can be very useful well, you've given us a lot to think about here, Frederick. Honestly, I'm going to have to chew on this for a while, um, but we do have to move on to the end of our podcast here. Uh, one thing that we've been doing here in season two of the Utilizing AI podcast is springing a few uh, kind of open-ended questions on our guests. And I wonder if you're willing to play along with our little game. 
Sure. All right. So uh, as a reminder to the audience, uh, he has not been prepared at all for these questions. So we'll see what he comes up with. Um, now, we did mention uh, self-driving cars uh, and the challenges of creating a, a car that can drive anywhere, anytime. But since your background is in voice recognition, I'm going to give you the, uh, the next question that I've been throwing at folks here instead. So, uh, Frederick, how long will it take for us to have a voice verbal conversational AI that can pass the Turing test and fool an average person into thinking that it's speaking with another person? Um, I would say four years max. Uh, so you feel so like that's the, coming pretty quickly now. Right. I, I think, well, there, there are two phases to that, right? So there's the, the you, you talking to the system and the system doing a good job trying to understand what you're saying. And I think we're, we're pretty good there um, as far as that technology, where where um, the technology was a little bit lacking, which was text to speech, which is the machine talking to you, which is uh, certainly for me. I mean, it was easily to, easy to recognize when it was a machine versus um, a human. But nowadays, um, they actually started using AI as well for um, text to speech. You know, talk speaking to you. And I must say, I heard a demo from my colleagues, ex colleagues, a few months ago, and you know, it was very, very difficult to 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 uh, to differentiate a human from a machine. So I would say four tops from a product for productization and enterprise. But it's 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 definitely coming very, very close in the near future. Great. And I appreciate having somebody who actually knows this particular area uh, weighing in on that, because I've been asking other folks, if you want to listen to some of the episodes, uh, and we've gotten a, a wide variety of answers. So um, let me take you outside your field of experience. Um, basically the same question, except video. When will we have video-focused ML in the home that operates the same way as uh, audio-based assistants like Siri and Alexa? In other words, when will we have cameras watching us that kind of know and can adapt to what we're doing without us even saying it? Oh, that's an interesting question. I thought in some areas this was already happening, but... Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think that's because it's outside of my area. I would I would probably have a more pessimistic view on this. Um, I would say, although on the other hand, maybe if, let's say seven years away or so. Okay. Although, yeah, maybe, yeah, it's a pessimistic view. Seven, but I, I might. But you see be, it on the horizon. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, I definitely see it. Yeah, I think video, audio, uh, all of that. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, we uh, we're smart creatures, but we're 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 easily fooled, to to be honest. So I I think it's just a matter of of getting close enough for us to 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 go along. I mean, yes. I, all I, right. I think one it's more question coming. then uh, before we wrap here. Um, are there any specific jobs or job roles that you see being completely eliminated by AI in the next five years? Um, well, I, I would I would think more in retail uh, and and um, robotics. You know, people manual labor like where cars being built being replaced by robots. So I think those are the areas that that. Um, 
that will be hit the heart. But I, I yes, and those will be be hit the heart. And it, it obviously, you know, just to give it a positive note too. I mean, there will be new jobs being created as well. But I think the ones where where labor will be replaced by 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 AI and robots, I think those will be hit the hardest. All right. Well, thank you so much, Frederick. It's been a wonderful conversation and I really learned a lot just from talking to you now. Um, where can people connect with you and learn more about your thoughts in big data and AI? Right, uh, so my website is probably, or the company's website is probably the, the, the easiest way. It's highfence.com, so it's H-I-G-H, uh, F-E-N-S.com slash blog for the blog. Um, I have written uh, in the past about NLP, about transfer learning and other uh, related technologies uh, towards uh, AI. Some of the pretty basic AI, not, nothing too fancy, but just at least to get conversation going. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm Frederick V. Heron. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Frederick. It's been a lot of fun having you here. And thank you listeners for joining us as well. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show. That does actually help uh, your favorite podcasts to get some visibility. And please do feel free to share this show with your friends. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, please go to utilizing-ai.com or you can find us on Twitter at utilizing underscore AI. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next week.